I'll listen to like the DIY network in the background, and then like I wake up and I'm at Home Depot. Hey everybody, welcome to Nash Dev. We're a podcast about software engineering in the Nashville developer community. I'm your host, William Golden. And I'm Lisa French. Today we're talking about remote working with Nate West, Trey Peepmeyer, and Derek Pell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, Nate, can we start with you and go around the table and introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, I'm Nate West. Uh, I work at Emma, and I work out of Portland, Oregon. Hi, I'm Trey Peepmeyer. I'm a front-end developer at Emma. I work in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Derek Pell. I'm an engineer at Emma, and I work out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I'm Lisa French. I'm a front-end developer with HCA, and we work remotely twice a week. So to get started, what does working remotely actually look like for you? You all are in the office right now. Um, you said you have an event in town this week. And how often are you remote? How often do you need to be in the office? Do you have bonding trips? You know, what, is, what does that look like? So I work out of um, Portland, and we do have a Portland office. There are only about nine people there. Four of us are developers, and we're all on different teams. So um, we'll go to the office a few times um, a week or so um, and kind of catch up with each other and have that. But for the most part, we'll work from home. So I work um, 100% remote. I mean, I come to events like this every once in a while, um, but it's been several months since I've been here. and. I tend to work sort of half and half at home and then at a co-working space. And it's a sort of open floor plan uh, co-working space with no privacy whatsoever. So I tend to, when I have meetings, do those at home and then go to the co-working space when I feel like being around other human beings and not being a total recluse. So there's no office then? And, and no, no. Yeah, it's just, I'm the only, I'm an employee. You are the office. I am the office, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my story is quite a bit like Trey's. Uh, I work from home remotely 100% um, and occasionally go in two, three days a week to a co-working space, open floor plan. We have small pods where I can take meetings if I need to, that sort of thing, so I don't have to plan around those as much as he might. We actually in Chattanooga have three Emma employees, and so we can all kind of meet up at the co-working space if we need to. None of us are on the same team but that's really just sort of for socializing. Yeah, and then it, um, so I'm, I'm with HCA here in Nashville, and we have two remote days every week, um, so then we're in the office three days a week. So can you tell me about what it, what it is you're in town for? Oh, the, well, I'm not sure I have like all the official uh, marketing buzzwords. Uh, it's a talent week at Emma where they, it's sort of, um, I think Derek said it was sort of like homecoming. It was just like a time to yeah, feels like a homecoming. Um, so, so people showcase their abilities and like show off photographs or cooking skills or uh, there's a lot of because we're in Music City, I guess. There's a lot of uh, people who are doing performances on Thursday night. Um, so it's an excuse for them to to bring in all the the people who uh, don't get to to be in the mothership very often. <laughs> And how, how often a year or every other year, how often do you have these? It's every year. It's only been, well, no, I guess it's, that's, that's been a longstanding thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's been for a long time. I've only been here two years, but yeah, this is yeah. third one I've been through. Yeah. Do you all come, come in for things other than that? Or? There's a big holiday party around Christmas. Um, so that's... Those are probably the two biggest things that sort of draw in all the remote folks. Do you find yourself wanting to um, come into the office frequently? Or like, do you find yourself wanting to come in? Or is it more like, hey, I could, I could kind of do without it? Like to, to Emma, yeah. specifically? I personally am sort of a homebody. So <laughs> it tends to be like, oh, yeah, I probably should go because I haven't been there in six months. Um, but it's great seeing people and, and being able to work in person and like, have meetings with people where there's like really high bandwidth conversations and you can read people's expressions and things like that which is sort of magical when everything is you know generally over slack or something i'm similar in that i'd much rather work from home typically and be in my own space and be able to control the volume of things and, and surrounding noise things like that but what i do occasionally work wish for those just more 
communication, more two-directional communication. I've definitely worked places where we weren't even working remote, but everyone happened to be a really, really good writer. And we'd all sit next to each other and talk on our chat system and have most of our conversations there and almost not talk to each other. And it worked really great. And I've also worked places where, you know, um, where I worked remote and every time there's even the littlest thing where it was like, I don't, I don't know if I can really talk about this in text. We'd immediately get on a call. So we're on calls like much more than half the day. Um, both, both those things worked out really well. Yeah. I actually started working in the national office and have recently moved to Chattanooga. So I like working remotely. I'm like both of these guys. Um, it's, I'm a, I'm happy to work kind of alone um, as far as that goes, but I made some really close friends here, and so I miss some of contact with specific people. Um, I think, uh, as, as Nate was saying, our, our team was really lucky. We had a couple of other remote developers already on our team, so we worked out how to be a remote team, even though several of us were already here, or we're still here in the, in the Nashville office. Um, so we have gotten fairly good at that two-way communication uh, mostly through um, our chat system and that type of thing and we and it, so it's gotten to the point where when I was working here we would be sitting right next to each other and having conversations in a chat system that we would normally just have face to face but we needed it there for uh, um, clarity for remote team members and, and we've gotten pretty good at that so that that helps so how often do you guys wear pants I, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I, 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 I get dressed as soon as I, as I get up and, and, uh, and, and treat it like I'm going out into the world, even if it's a few hours before I actually do. I, I get up and have to take my dog out every morning, so I have to get dressed. If it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't. I was actually going to say, I used to work remotely for another company. For a while, I'd wear pants, but I'd wear pajamas, and I'd just kind of roll out of bed and sit around for a while and then go to my desk and work. And you kind of end up getting in this like fog of working all the time mm-hmm. and never really leaving your office and like your work and your house just kind of milled into one place. Um, and having a time where I like get dressed, take a shower, brush my teeth, go to the other room, close the door really kind of makes that separate workspace and keeps everything else nice and sacred and set apart. That, that uh, having a, a separate workspace in the house and also having the, um, the co-working space that I go to is, is really beneficial for that, having those, those separation of, of work and, and home life. I, I tend to um, do mornings at home and then do afternoons at the co-working space. And when I leave the co-working space, unless there's some, something's on fire, like I, that's the end of my work day. So having that separation is, really works well for me. We weren't able to get a separate room in our apartment for uh, an office space, but we've set it up so that we have a row of two different bookshelves and then my desk, and so there's a clear line of demarcation. And when my workday's over, I don't go back there anymore. I just, like, the couch is just right on the other side, but having that line is enough most of the time for me to be able to separate. And it's actually turned out where if I'm doing, um, like, independent projects like a side project for myself if I sit on the couch I'm like I can't be as productive now as I was so I'll tend to want to go back to my desk and so that even there even though it's completely open that's my my work environment I do go back to my desk Mm -hmm. after work I just I don't do work stuff right yeah (laughs) so what advice would you give to a new developer that's like just now starting out remote or, or even an experienced developer that's going from a full-time in the office experience to working remote, either part-time or full-time. What would you, what would you say? Over communicate and be a, an advocate for yourself. Like if there's a meeting where you can't hear what people are saying, like speak up, be this, be the squeaky wheel. Cause no one, unless they're remote too, they don't feel your pain. So you have to be a big advocate for yourself. One thing I've started doing is, finding people I was in a meeting with later and asking what they talked about after the meeting. Cause there's almost always side conversation afterwards. And then everyone feels like, Oh, everyone knows this. And there's some awesome secret you just missed. <laughs> That's a great idea. Mm. I, and I would say, um, find those like time box your work, because if you don't set, like I'm leaving work now, even if leaving work is just going across the room, if you don't do that, you will find yourself burning out. You will, be working all the time and uh, 
you need to set those boundaries. What advice would you give companies that are looking to, to start offering a remote program? And um, what would you tell them is the most critical things that you would, you would like to see um, if they were to do that? I feel like for them to know how it works, maybe just have people work from home, even if they're not going to be remote, so they know what that's like so that they can they can feel the pain and, and understand like like being in a um a meeting today when there was someone remote um like and they were talking about how the audio was cutting in and out and you you even though i experienced that every day i didn't think about it when i was there <laughs> it's like you have to be reminded of that kind of stuff constantly to 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 be fair to the people who especially when most of the people are there in person and there's one or two people I can't remember where I saw this, but um, it was kind of the idea that if one person's remote, you should all act as if you are. And yeah, how you do that, but it's like you were saying, I had a couple weeks where I worked from California this year. And while I was there, I was very much like, we will change our remote culture when I get back. And then I got back and, you know, kind of just comfortable and it's not your problem. And there's other fires to fight. But I had this idea, it's kind of random, I don't know, but like we have a like a conference mound, I don't know what it is, it's like a big speaker thing, and kind of um, having like a bobblehead or something there that like represents the people who aren't in the room or something, some kind of physical reminder. So that you speak close to it, like that kind of thing? or Yeah, well you just remember there, there are people on the phone, or to even start the phone call, cause sometimes people forget to do the dial in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just, you know, maybe you even, those pictures from the 90s where they had the cutout with the face, you know, something like, I don't know. It was just a random idea. Well, usually in the, in the meetings uh, that I'm in, there's a Google Hangout involved. So my, my face is larger than life on a screen. But then the problem is that little, the microphone pod is in the middle of this huge table. So if someone's standing in the corner, you can't hear them at all. Um, and that and that's something that that's hard to remember if if you haven't experienced it. Likewise, there I've been in meetings uh, where someone will have to get up and write on a whiteboard. And we have a couple of rooms here where we have movable cameras. And so usually someone will either prompt or remember, let's move the camera so that whoever can see what we're writing. Um, but that's not always available. So I would say, you know, if a company is going to start doing remote work, uh, invest some effort into thinking about various ways of communicating. So like not everything needs to be a Google Hangout because you know Google's very high bandwidth. Um, so we have a couple of different options where like we will do Hangouts, we will do other things where we can just do like a, a smaller bandwidth screen share or just you know chat systems, that, that type of thing, but be open to exploring different options for communicating because not everything is you know like one, one size fits all for that. Yeah, um, plus one to the whiteboard thing. That's, yeah. that's terrible. I, whenever someone starts writing on a whiteboard, it's, I'm not going to be able to get anything from this. Mm-hmm. How do you handle it uh, to when, say, you remind some people, but it's kind of like, I, I'm a soft-spoken person, you know, the, the same people that keep, you know, standing in the back of the room and you can't hear them. Like, does it does it get to some point where you're just like, you give up or do you just keep fighting like yes. you hate to feel like you're picking on that person like but that behavior like it it seems like if you don't keep fighting for it constantly it'll go back well yeah yeah I think that is sort of that's that's the ongoing struggle and and um, I feel like if there was something you felt like you specifically missed you could say I didn't understand that or you can just follow up afterwards in slack or whatever chat room I frequently do a thing where if I've said a few times like I can't hear you and it keeps not happening and then I've sent people chat messages saying this isn't working and then it's been a couple minutes and I'm really not getting anything out of the meeting not contributing I just leave and like <laughs> it always gets everybody's attention and it seems a little bit aggravated or like aggro but it's it's really not it's just like I'm just wasting time right now like I'll just get off and we'll talk about it later <laughs> do you get negative feedback when you do that um I haven't at Emma cool yeah. maybe I'll try that you should like um <laughs> Stand up on the camera and like shrug or like just like make crazy like face face charges like I can't I can't hear you just like listen to me like shut my laptop so they see it dramatically yeah. just, <laughs> can't take it anymore. Speaking of have, so have you? Gosh, 
I'm terrible at this. Why am I on a podcast? <laughs> should not be on a podcast. Um, have you all like hung out on the line like after the meeting was over, but like <laughs> they didn't know you were still on the line? Have you heard any like juicy bits or anything like that? No. <laughs> oh, come on. Dang it. Seems like it's more of a problem of people forgetting you're there or yeah. like than talking about yeah. you. But ironically though, like everyone in the office tends to have side conversations immediately after, so but yeah. Yeah, I, I've never thought about that. I should probably start following up. Yeah. Yeah. I only did it after like a year of being somewhere else and and being behind consistently because like a meeting would extend out another half hour afterwards of two people by the fridge or whatever. And they'd come up with a whole new idea about what should be done. And two days later, I found out that was the case. And I was like, oh, my God. Remote meetings are by far my least favorite thing about remote work. How do you handle um, not feeling isolated or alone um, outside of, you know, missing information? Just that feeling of being around people or maybe you don't miss it. That's that's why I have my co-working space That, that serves that need for me. Same here. I've started making a, a couple of acquaintances there outside of the other Emma employees. Um, so it's, it's nice to have that. And it's, it's, for me, it's, it's actually just the right amount of socializing with people that I'm not really familiar with. Like we can, we know each other's names and we can say, Hey, and we can have little short side conversations, but I don't feel like I have to invest in that. And then I can just go back to work. Yeah. My main thing is to just leave the house. Um, and, and not even while I'm working, but like the second I'm done working, go do stuff with friends, go to a meetup, um, or like sometimes if it's getting really bad, then I'll go work at a coffee shop or I'll just like stop at lunch and walk down the road on a nice day and like go somewhere outside to eat or something. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten into the routine where if, if there, for some reason I, I can't go to my coworking space in the afternoon, I get so stir crazy. Like if I'm waiting for a package or something. I think you even need to do that in the office sometimes, you know, to get out. How, how do you measure productivity? And can we talk more about how you know when you're done for the day? What kind of boundaries do you have for that? For me, it's mostly the time of day, unless there's, I'm in the middle of something. I, I, uh, it's usually like around 5.30 or 6. I'm just, that's the end of the day for me. Um, but, you know, if there is something going on that I need to be involved with, it'll, it'll continue on. But when I, when I first started doing remote work, and for probably several years of it, it, it was, and it would just go into the evening all the time. So, uh, and that was before I had my co-working space. So that, that has really helped to sort of have that phase of the day be done. I think when I first started working remote, I always felt like I had to be super, I mean, I do have to be super visible, but I felt more like I had to prove myself uh, and I would overwork often or just like really get into a problem and stay on it forever. Um, so I don't really do any like specific technique like Pomodoro or anything. It's just like, I know I have this morning four-ish hour block. I've got lunch and I've got this afternoon three-ish, four-ish hour block. Um, And yeah, once it's time to go, I just go. And it it also helps that one thing that helped me is I started planning things at the time I want to leave. So I don't just like sit around. I'm like, well, but I could get a little further. I just leave. (laughs) And I had to um, remind myself since there's a time difference between uh, Chattanooga and Nashville, I'm online up and working before any of my coworkers who mm-hmm. are in the office. And so I just like reminded myself, it's okay for me to leave at five o'clock my time, even mm-hmm. though everyone else is still going to work because I've been working for an hour longer than they got into the office. So like, I just try to keep a typical eight to five kind of uh, work day for myself. So, yeah. I don't feel like for me there's really any difference in terms of how I rate my own productivity of working in an office versus working remotely. It's sort of, I think for a while it felt like, like, like Nate was saying, you had to prove yourself. Like you're you're at home and it's so cushy deal, and I should be doing tons of stuff. But um, just the the sense of productivity is sort of just an intuitive thing. I, I tend to like I created an Evernote note the beginning of the day and just sort of jot down notes of what I was able to do, which helps during standups and stuff. And then I can look at it at the end of the day. It's like, okay, I did a bunch of little things or, or you know, whatever it is. 
how did you all get to be remote employees? Like, um, does Emma typically um, hire you on that way, or did you have contacts here that you knew and they can sort of be like, yeah, like they're a good, they're a good worker. I've worked with them and kind of like vouch for you. I think I was the first non-Portland remote developer. And this was like four years ago or something like that. And it was, um, I, I just requested it. And um, it was, there was a family situation. I wanted to be uh, closer to some family. And um, I was just able to work it out. And um, part of that process was making sure the the development environments and stuff worked flawlessly outside of the office, which is, still <laughs> constantly a, a struggle um but yeah that that's my experience anyway for me I actually started working remote before emma uh, at another company and everyone worked remote there um so it was just getting hired <laughs> uh, and then here um i started with the intention to move to portland um and kind of talk through how that might benefit emma and that kind of thing and that, that was kind of part of the deal when i started yeah. I, I started off here. Um, I worked here a year and a half or so before I went remote. And like Trey, I had some family things. And so I wanted to be closer to family. Um, and by then, people like Trey and Nate had paved the way. And it was a really smooth transition for me uh, to do that. I know that Emma has hired in some remote workers just who have never worked in, uh, you know, in one of our offices. Um, so I think that's something that uh, every time we get someone new that, that sort of helps all of us because we bring in like new ways of thinking about how to work remote and what, it, what we need for a particular team members, that type of thing. So in y'all's uh, opinion, do you feel like an all remote team, a part remote team, or like mixed remote onsite scenario is better? Which, which, which type of team do you think would be the most efficient? I, I was about to say before you asked that, that um, when I'm joining a team and there's already a remote person on it, I'm like, hell yeah, because they, <laughs> they, they, know, they know what's up. Um, and it's, it's not like, so sometimes when you're the, the, the sole remote person on a team, it's like, oh, they have to set up a hangout and dial in just for me. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I think, I think from the remote worker's perspective, the more remote, the better. <laughs> yeah. I only recently at Emma kind of became aware that like, there's also some negative trade-offs for people in the office working with remote people that feel really painful on that side. I really feel like there's several trade-offs either way you go. So like the more you lean one direction or the other, those are really the, the trade-offs you're going to lean towards more. So if you have a mixture it's just kind of more about who's going to feel more friction on either side. And I, when I've worked close to like half and half, everyone kind of feels like they're in friction. But when I've worked much closer to one side or the other, it feels lower friction on one side. What kind of things do you mean for the painful for the in-office people? So really even things like remembering to put things in writing after the fact. Those side conversations are super beneficial if you're in the office. It's something... It's kind of a perk of the office being able to go, actually, I had another thought about that, and let's talk about it for a minute. Um, but then having to go, oh, yeah, there's someone else here, and remember that kind of thing is actually a friction. There's also kind of weird things, especially um, especially if your office space limits nooks and crannies you can get into and have privacy. There's some issues. Um, like if you have you know, a couple of team members that are in the office and they're trying to join a remote call, um, sound can be an issue for them too. Cause if you try to do the things that really help out the remote workers, like everyone wearing headphones, everyone being on their own laptop, then you get a really annoying delay with the people next to you. And it's hard to process what people are saying and it can be difficult. Um, it's really hard to kind of find that right combination that reduces friction on both sides when you've got a mixture. Yeah. I can't believe there's not a product that's like Hey, this here's a kit for remote workers, and it's like lapel mics and like really good <laughs> webcams that can like track faces and stuff. Like, we uh, should invent this. This should be like a Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I read a lot about Buffer, you know, although they're um, all remote, so, but they've got so many great things on there. I know they have a lot of different software that they use, and they're always sharing like things that they're learning. I love reading that and 
dreaming about a better <laughs> remote <laughs> culture. <laughs> Ironically, I still think the best remote culture I ever worked in, no one worked remote. It was, just, it was that place where everyone was always on chat. Um, it was really easy if you were a little bit under the weather and didn't want to bring it in, but you felt fine to work or whatever, or you just wanted to go out of town, but you were still going to work. It was just a totally seamless transition. It didn't even feel like being out of the office. Like the habits and infrastructure oh, was yeah. already there. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I had that experience at Stratasand. Like yeah. we, were, we were sitting in a room about this size, you know, about 20 foot by 20 foot like six of us back our backs were to each other. And like, we didn't turn around to talk. It was just, I'm sorry. <laughs> we didn't turn around to talk. We were just like chatting on, I guess, what was it? Um, what was the campfire? campfire. Yeah. <laughs> campfire. Yeah. We were chatting on campfire and, you know, sending dumb gifts to each other. Yeah. Didn't talk, talk most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but when we needed to, you know, we could like, we had to dig into something we, we could then turn around or go to a room and whiteboard stuff. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to have that. Hey, we, you can respond at your own leisure, right? It's not like, uh, I don't have to inter- interrupt you to get get an answer. Like You can ping me back when you need, or when you can. Yeah, and I'd also say, like, almost any conversation that involved code and some, at a, some value of a lower level, where it was useful to maybe, like, look at code or talk about what's actually there, all of that conversation happened to GitHub all the time, um, for the most part. I mean, like, occasionally you'd get a little, like, here's a one line in Slack or whatever, but typically you'd be, speaking in line, in some code, or like in an issue. And I practically just lived in GitHub and a lot of times had more conversation there than even in Slack or on a Google Hangout or something. So do you find that um, more remote-centric um, teams have better commit messages, have better um, uh, pull requests, things like that? Like the, the type of tool, the, the way they use tooling, is it different? In my limited experience so far, um, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it's like a perfect correlation, but the places where it's nice to work remote do those things. And even some remote places where it's a little bit less nice to work remote, uh, they don't do those things. Yeah, I, I think for most of my team, um, we don't have enough of those conversations in GitHub, um, but we will have the follow-up conversations in Slack or something like that. So there is some amount of transparency for the entire team uh, but it's probably not where it really needs to be. So it's like very team centric. So it's not there if someone outside the team were to come in and look through GitHub, we're not seeing it there. Yeah, I think I think Slack sort of sucks all the air out of the room. <laughs> like it, everything just defaults to Slack, which is not good. There's a couple of trade-offs to Slack though. It's, you know, one of them being that it's searchable. So like I'm such a forgetful person. If you told me to do something two days ago and I don't have like, some kind of record of it, I'm probably going to forget unless I make myself like a calendar reminder or a to-do or whatever. And um, Hopefully you have the paid one though with the, you know, the messages disappear after so long. I'm like, don't put it in Slack. Like, don't count on it being there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, here at Emma, we have, you know, the paid version and we, we, we can start. So like when there's a discussion about, oh, okay, like in our local environment, there's a, a bug or, or whatever that we've surfaced. Don't talk about that in a direct message put that in a public channel so that yeah. when someone runs into the issue, we can search for it next time and it'll come up and, Oh, Nate found the solution. And it's, you know, this one config file that you have to change. But it would be even better if it were in GitHub or something like that. Sure. Cause yeah. it's, it's such a fire hose to, to try to find something in, in Slack. I mean, I do it all the time, but it's like so often there'd be like, I wish that were an email or I wish, you know, that was right. Yeah. I mean the barrier to entry uh, of Slack of like actually using that tool is it might be like super simple to just, pop a message into the thing and there it mm-hmm. is versus going to GitHub, making a pull request and blah, blah, blah. But right. yeah, it, it may be more in the long term, right? If you think about like leaving the campfire better than where you found it. Yeah. Maybe making a pull request would be better. Um, but yeah, in, in fact, in the kind of like on the slightly more extreme side of the spectrum of not using GitHub to talk about things where it's just, here's a commit of added this feature, but, and that's all there really is. And there really aren't issues and, and there's no inline comments. Um, like coming in later after the fact, even on a thing that I've worked on in the past, um, there's just no context. I have to find someone who was there and has a good memory or had to fight it really hard. Like there's no other way to find out. And then anytime it's been on the opposite side of the spectrum, I rarely have to ask people those kinds of contextual questions or a lot less often at least. Um, anytime I do, it's kind of like a very, very high level decision. Do you ever go back and look at pull requests specifically? Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, not here so much. We don't we don't have a whole lot of conversation on them, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wish we I wish we had more stuff on on pull requests. I I tend to try to put a lot of metadata in my pull requests, like link to a Jira ticket and, and things like that. Yeah, that stuff is really valuable. Do you all use or know of um, like tools where you can actually look through the code at the same time and kind of point your clicker and so follow along with someone like I guess screen sharing really it's screen hero it's, yeah. yeah screen hero yeah we use that a lot we we don't always have the latest stuff like we just got slack a couple months ago so, so now you can get <laughs> so screen you hero. have uh, slack screen hero is a uh, was purchased by um, slack so you can actually get it and it's free oh cool we we have um we have some microsoft tools <laughs> <laughs> that um you know, can can do some of those things, but we're just really loving Slack right now, so that's good to know. I'm going to be the cool kid at work now and be like, Screen Hero. <laughs> screen Hero is cool. It's very low bandwidth, and you can take control of the other person's screen and and all of the every, you know that, that kind of thing that you need for you know kind of a pair programming. It's pretty nice. The only thing that's annoying about it is I very regularly accidentally alt tab on the other person's yes, machine I do that in a the lot. middle of them typing. Yeah. Right. And what other kinds of software do you all use that's helpful or that you've heard of other teams using for this type of remote working? I mean, stuff screen sharing stuff it isn't that frequent. I mean, I think the biggest thing is Slack. Yeah. I actually, um, <clears throat> one technology that's super helpful that most people with chat systems are using anyways is just bots. Super valuable. I mean, what, uh, what is it? Like chatbots, like um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like Hubot or any of those. Um, one just kind of for the fun um, and having like goofy inside jokes and that kind of thing. But then also just like having you know kind of chat ops y kind of stuff where it's like let me find out about what's going on in our environment or like tell me about our customers or um, tell me about the last deploy or whatever. Tell me when someone released new code. Um, that stuff is nice and helps keep everyone in an area where there's written word. It's like a command line for the whole company. Yeah. So if you had to choose, um, what would be like the top two or three things that are like a must have for a successful, uh, successful remote team? Uh, drive, <laughs> like the desire to get the your work done. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the the tools you choose are less relevant than your mindset. Like you, you're even if you can't get your entire company moving in that direction immediately, you need to be able to get your team thinking about. I'm a remote worker. We have to do something so that I can be an integral part of the team. I'd say like the biggest thing to me actually is writing skills um, and being able to write really well and communicate effectively and briefly, which is not this sentence. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, what kind of things would you say that looks like? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it other than just like clear, concise communication. Like context, I think you were saying earlier. Yeah, providing a lot of context. Um, one, actually, a really good example is um, not just like hopping on a channel and suddenly talking about what you're thinking about. <laughs> Like saying like, oh, here's the stack trace with no context or like, um, does so-and-so know about such and such, but saying like, hey, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z and I'm at this point right now and I've seen this and I tried, you know, A, B, and C. Um, like, here's what I'm thinking. I'm not sure where to go next, you know, and even maybe asking if anyone knows who would know if no one really responds very quickly. I, I tend to be very verbose, or and um, so I'll write something in Slack and realize I've just written like a, a novella, and then I still have to like paste a, state, a stack trace inside there too. Um, but I would, if someone, if I'm reading something, I would rather have more context than less every time. But I, I think it's really trying to find that balance of this is a good amount of context and it explains the situation. Especially sometimes we find ourselves in Slack, if we have two or three things going on, we may have two or three different conversations happening in the same channel. And so we've, we ha you, you have to say, this is in response to something that was posted. You know, it was only 30 seconds, but it was five or six mm -hmm. messages ago. 
So you, you have to keep up with that. Yeah. I was going to say that that's super handy for people that are not remote, right? Like when a remote person or a non remote person is like reporting a, a problem and they're calling your attention to it and you may not, you may be out to lunch. You may be like in the bathroom or whatever. And you don't get back to it for like 10 or 15 minutes later. Um, having all that context there, we're like, this is what I've tried. This is my problem. This is what I'm trying to do. This is my approach. Having all that context, all that information that, that eliminates that back and forth. Like the more information you can front load to me, um, the better. So I can actually try to, uh, come up to a, come to a solution for you and then get back to you. Cause you may have moved on to other things. So like you're not gonna let that block you for the rest of the day. You're going to move on and work on the next thing that you're trying to tackle. So getting that habit of like having that asynchronous uh, communication where you're like, you're dumping as much information to the person and you're receiving as much information as you can is super helpful in my opinion. I think, I think it's so, and now that I'm thinking about more, there's actually like two particular tips. I don't know, techniques I can think of offhand. Like, like one thing is this is writing in the digital age and there's a lot of nice things you can do to make things clear that you couldn't do before. You can send a picture, you can send a GIF, you can send a video, you can send links to specific things. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. It's GIF. No, it, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, or and those um, the screen videos. Is it Jing that was popular for a while? I don't know that, but probably. Yeah. yeah. Lice cap. I'm all about lice cap. Lice cap. See, I'm learning all kinds of things nice. today. I'm going to go and download all this software tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is much more old school, and that's just that um, I feel like as we're all getting used to kind of instant messages, it's really easy to just like like word vomit something out send. But like it's written word, you can spend some time revising it and actually go through three or four edits to get to something really concise that says what you want to say. Yeah, I'm super guilty of that. Of just like blah 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 blah. Oh yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Edit, edit. I have to like edit like six lines up. Yeah. And like I mean, I've seen you do uh, like this thing where like it's like this beautifully crafted message with like bold and italics mm-hmm. and like you, sh- you emphasize things. It's like. I'm like, oh, I should be more like Nate. Yeah, you, that's the, the thing that's funny. It's like UI is actually really important in the written word. Like sometimes having, you know, bullet points on what you're saying or numbers or titles. Um, I, I've used to send a lot of emails that weren't actually very formal in their content, but they were formatted in a very formal way where I had headings for different sections because I had a lot of different thoughts and I wanted to get them organized in a good way where you could kind of at a glance see this is where this is and you could maybe just glance through get an idea of whether or not it was worth reading that second and then get to what mattered and I, i've seen that in conversations in slack with nate where i'll be like working out an issue and it, you know it'll, it'll tell you when he's writing so i'll sit there and wait and kind of wait <laughs> and kind of wait and then you know i'll I, I know how he works so I'll, I'll i'll do something else and eventually it'll pop up and tell me you know and so i'll look and it's like Okay, that makes perfect sense because he took the time to craft it. Worth the wait. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Worth the name. (laughs) I was going to say one of the other things that's super important is to acknowledge when someone does that, right? Like if Nate sends me this super long message, um, I guess the respectful thing would, the respectful thing to do would be to like, got it. Or like, like some kind of acknowledgement of like, I read the thing. I appreciate you sending me the information because there's probably nothing more frustrating than like sitting down like, a big blob of text and like you've spent a lot of time working to make sure it was really clear and concise and then just nobody reads it. Right. Pretty much the worst. <laughs> Ooh, that's another good Slack tip. I just learned this. There's a slash remind command. That's really nice. What, what does that do? Um, I still actually haven't used it, but like you can ask the Slack bot to like remind you of a thing at a specific time. So like if someone sends you a big long thing and you're like, I don't have time, then you can say like, hey, I'm gonna get back to this later and then immediately go slash remind me later when I said I was gonna do it. Yeah, you can remind yourself, you can remind the channel, you can um, nice. have it do uh, uh, at a frequency. So like every every day, or every Sweet. five days, every month. Like in, we actually have a remote channel on Slack and then there's a couple of links that are like really critical I know that's probably driving Trey crazy. That's my fault. I'm sorry. That's what that is. Yeah, so I've got it (laughs) spamming every Monday our uh, GoToMeeting um, link, our Trello card link, and I don't know. There's one other thing. Like, there's like three different things that it paste into the channel because I'm lazy, and I'm like, I don't have to look this up every Monday. Yeah, that's good. I'm in the remote channel. I click the link, and it goes right to it. But I feel like it doesn't just have to be that tool because I I'd also I had a, a supervisor who was also a developer a while back. Uh, another job 
who like often I'd write those like really lengthy emails with a lot to think about. And sometimes he'd read them right away, but want to think about them. Sometimes he wouldn't have time to read them or he just couldn't think about it yet. And he would always say like, yeah, I'll get back to you at X time and set something on his calendar. I actually don't even know what he used, but it wasn't Slack. <laughs> and it was something that alerted him and he, he was receptive to that alert. So I feel like that's the part. He had that's an egg better. timer. He just like twisted it. It's right. Like the little, little exactly. chef, the Italian chef. That's what that's he like did. Um, something else that I try to do is to number my questions mm-hmm. so that, you know, when you have a lot of other chats going on, someone can really just answer to a certain point. Yeah, there, there, there's no. Oh, there's really a good bot. You just like you say like question like slash question, and it generates a random like uh, like DMV number. Like, <laughs> so when you get it, like somebody responds back to Q three two four five. Yeah, because there, there, there is nothing more frustrating than having like I have three questions and someone answers one of them. I'm like uh, I need more context. Yeah, maybe it's to avoid that people skipping over your other questions. <laughs> <laughs> what other kinds of things have we not mentioned yet that are either things that you'd like to preach about or things that are difficult or things that are great. Just what do you like most about remote working? What do you not like that we haven't already talked about? It's, it's great to have the kind of flexibility that you have as a remote worker. I mean, you can, you know, if you need to go it's on all a, that yoga, <laughs> yoga. <laughs> oh, flexible. Gotcha. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, like if you need to, to go on a, a trip somewhere and, and you're going to be still available during work hours and have Wi-Fi, you don't even have to tell anybody. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. So, so having the flexibility, I think it's like the, the number one benefit. I will say like that's one of the reasons that I got into this career was just knowing that that's an option. It's so much easier than the kind of career I had in the past. It was very much in the office and I think in like my first year being a developer, I was able to go home and take care of my dad when he broke his leg and my mom had to go to a funeral. So she was normally his. And like, it just felt so fulfilling. Like I'm on the right path, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah I, I love that. Yeah. And then it makes the whole uh, culture. Like even if you have to go back to working in the office, but you have this sort of culture in the office and in your own mindset of like, Oh, I can work remotely. Then if you need to take, a couple of days off, you know, you're still plugged in enough, you know, it, it, it's sort of a habit to do all the things that you normally would do just working remotely. Life skills. Yeah. 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 This is either going to come out philosophical or dumb, but, <laughs> um, there, I feel like there was, uh, and still kind of is a big push towards big open offices with everyone in the same room. And, um, while they're positive trade-offs to that, like it really does kind of interrupt people's abilities to just like sit, be quiet and think through a hard problem or like get, you know, one-on-one with another person and really think out a, a really difficult design decision or something. And like working remote's kind of like the, a little bit of the ultimate version of that where you have a lot of control over when people reach out to you and interrupt you um, and, you know, what your environment is like what kind of noise there is and what works for you. Um, and that's super valuable. Yeah. I've worked in, in positions before where I would have to like move myself and isolate myself. Like I have to work on this and, you know, have team leads come up and tell all the other workers, don't go talk to Derek. He's, he's working on something and he, and, you know, like he needs to concentrate because otherwise my day-to-day job would have been like, they, you know, 30 people an hour would come up to me. Um, with remote work, you can just like sign out of Slack. You can just go silent and not have to worry about those interruptions. You know, do you really do that? Uh, I haven't had to yet, uh, here. Um, but I would, yeah, I would, I would totally just say, Hey, I've, I've got to work on this. I'm going to go silent for a bit. And, you know, cause you just have to sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just that feature of where you can you can mute the channel and someone can ping you twice if, if they really need you. Mm-hmm. I use that a lot. But yeah, when you're, when you're in your desk and you have on your headphones, some people still don't understand that. Or um, yeah, there's just, there's so much going on. And I wish that we had um, work environments that could kind of group people by work styles. So you have like your library style, you know, and then you have like your super collaborative, you know, like, 
want to talk everything through with another person and, you know, and everything in between. Just a dream, though. <laughs> I like it. So, The Price is Right or Days of Our Lives? <laughs> really? Uh, the Price is price Right. Is right? Do you all have on the TV while you work? No. 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 I, I love doing that one. It's like the weirdest thing. Like, I can't tune out people talking mm-hmm. in the office, but I can have on Criminal Minds, like, all day while I'm and just not even hear it. I can do that with music, but I've always, like, since, since I was a kid, television, I just get sucked in. Yeah. Like, I cannot turn off. I, it'll be something I completely hate. Like, what? I mean, it, it, it doesn't even have to be in my language, and I will <laughs> mm-hmm. get sucked into it. Even, like, at a, you know, go to a bar or something, and there's TVs everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to get sucked into one of those, so I can't work that way. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Spotify constantly for yeah. me. It's- I, th- I think that's normal. Like, I think I'm not normal here. <laughs> uh, I actually have one exception. Uh, I've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer probably a dozen times all the way through, uh, but it's like kind of a comfort thing. So if I'm going through a hard time in life <laughs> and I want to be able to just like have another thing going on that kind of enters my ears, kind sometimes I'll turn that bit. on. Yeah. And that's just like a really comforting thing. But a weird thing I do do, though, is I'll listen to podcasts while I work. Yeah, I can't um, do that either. Yeah. I wish I could. Yeah. It's so productive. Sort of. It's it's like half and half. <laughs> like I, I feel like um, mostly I just like miss parts of the podcast and have to like listen to parts again later. But like I, you know, pick up little bits of content now and then that kind of satisfies a different thing than just listening to music. I'll listen to like the DIY network in the background and then like I wake up and I'm at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, can, can we go back to Buffy for a second? Yeah. Do you read the comics? I do, but I'm behind. Okay. Yeah. Just awesome. want to make sure you knew about them. I read all of season eight and I, I like no bits of season nine, but I read it. So yeah. when you say you watch Buffy, is it, you're talking about the series, not the movie. Talking right? about the series, yeah, yeah okay. not <laughs> the movie. <laughs> Just making sure. I think some of that too is like the not wanting to feel alone thing. Like, um, that's, I think that's one reason why I have it on. And I think another part is adrenaline, especially with the criminal mind. Like it gets me like kind of amped and nice. I don't even realize it's happening, but then I'm super into what I'm doing. Um, but I think too, that since I don't work from home every day, that I kind of don't have to be as disciplined on my days off. So I'll have like, you know, some mornings I do kind of work from the couch and have things all spread out and then I'll move to my desk. But then other days, you know, super at the desk. And I think if I, you know, if I had to do it every day, I would be a lot more disciplined, less TV. I don't even watch that much Criminal Minds. I don't know why I'm even saying that. <laughs> Put on Bob Ross and you like wake up at six o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> watching him paint trees and I'm fell asleep. All I know is there, what is it? There are only happy accidents. Happy accidents. That's, like, that's all my code, happy accidents. <laughs> no mistakes. Cool. We'll uh, we'll start with um, we'll start with uh, Trey. Can it be fairly general? Kind of can be whatever you go okay. with your heart. My my heart tells me that my pick is film photography. So that's it's something I've been into for the last couple of years. Just getting into uh, using finding and using old like manual film cameras, and I've even developed some black and white film and scanned it myself. And just the whole process of it is. Uh, it feels really I rewarding. I love the smell of those chemicals, man. Yeah. So good. And, and just like the physicality of it, it feels like taking pictures with the film cameras like hardware and digital cameras are like software. And they're both good in different ways, but just uh, that's that's my that's my all-consuming hobby Like a right digital now. camera, you just hold in the shutter down, shutter down and you yeah. just scan through the ones where their eyes aren't open. With the film camera, you've got 30 shots and right. you can make them count. Yeah, you've got to make it count and it costs money every time you, you pull the shutter button. So my pick is... This place next to Emma called Moscow's, Little Moscow's, Moscow's, yeah. Uh, delicious, amazing pastries. And they don't really like super loudly advertise it necessarily, but like both the owners have celiacs. So everything's gluten free, which is really good for me. And it's so amazing. Dude, like, their I live cookies in Portland. Are I can, no shit. Like, yeah. But like, regardless of they're gluten free or not, their cookies they're are amazing. like legit the best I've ever had. Yeah. It's, it's in this area? It's like right it's over here. It's right across oh. the, yeah. And like, I live in Portland. I can find gluten free pastries all day long. Those are amazing. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, the pressure. Um, it can be like something that you're digging lately. Yeah. Like feeling. 
Um, Where's your favorite place to visit in Nashville when you come back? Hattie B's. It's such a great place, and you can't get anything like that anywhere else. No matter what they say, if it, no matter where you are, if they advertise Nashville hot chicken, if you're not in Nashville, you're not getting Nashville hot chicken. Forget it. They're lying. Um, yeah. So like, I lived here so long. There's no place I really kind of visit when I come back. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it would it would just be um, finding good food up here. I, I think um, one of the things I'm uh, like along food lines in Chattanooga, I get to rediscover all the great restaurants that are in Chattanooga. And Chattanooga actually has a ton of really good uh, local restaurants that um, grew up. I, I, I grew up there and, and those restaurants came like between the time I left and the time I, I've come back. And so I think uh, right now, I guess just in general, it's rediscovering a city that I grew up in because it is so very different now and yet so very much the same. Like I'll walk the streets and recognize buildings, but the shops that are in the buildings are completely different than they were when I was growing up. So um, I'm really enjoying, that's one of the great things about working in my co-working spaces. It's right downtown. So I can go downtown and on the lunch break when it's not miserably hot, walk around and sort of like rediscover the lay of, of the city in a, in a way that is new and yet familiar. Okay. So my pick's going to probably be the same pick until November because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, advertising this pretty hard. Uh, but November, uh, 2016 is going to be November. It's hard to say November 20th and 21st. The call for papers is open. So if you're interested in speaking, if you, if you've never spoken before, we can help you craft a talk we can do an abstract we can we can walk you through all this all the parts right uh so don't be scared to submit a submit a, a talk to us um you can go to november.org uh and sign up also our early bird tickets are on sale so go ahead and get those before we sell out because they're going to go super quick so yeah we'll see you in a couple months i recently learned about this typeface font that is um to mitigate some of the issues that people with dyslexia experience called dyslexie. Well, I'm not sure how you say it. D-Y-S-L-E-X-I-E. Have y'all heard of this before? No, but it's no. awesome. Yeah, um, it, it has, I think it has something to do with making uh, certain parts of the letters thicker and and separating things, but um, super cool. Like, I, I love to hear about, you know, people developing technology for everyone, you know, so... dyslexia. We'll have a link in the show notes for all of these. So thanks for listening to the Nash DevCast. Uh, Be sure to follow us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, all of those places that you can find us on social media. Uh, And also, it'd really help us out if you got onto iTunes and left us a review, um, preferably a five-star review. That'd be great. Uh, And, you know, say some nice words. Um, That'd be awesome. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Relationary Marketing. This episode was produced by Clark Buckner and edited by Rodney Norris and Clark Buckner.